on today's episode, we're um, we're going to talk a little bit about changing the pricing and how shifting our pricing completely pivoted our business and, and helped us get us to where we are now. Uh, then how we used Google Ads as an original strategy to find potential or high quality keywords on content marketing. And finally, exploring other avenues to get higher revenue, to increase your revenue once you've kind of like depleted all the original sources. Let's go. This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Today, we have Kaya. He is the CEO of Slidebean, which is an incredibly easy web presentation tool. He's also a 500 Startups alum. Kudos and congrats to you. And a frequent Flyer Meyer hoarder. Kaya, how is your day going? Doing good, Jonathan. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot for having me and happy to be here. Happy to be of help. Cool, man. Anytime. So before we get into the hard-hitting, tough questions, we have to start the podcast off the same way we do every single time, and that is with an icebreaker. So being that you're in Costa Rica right now, you travel to New York, I'm curious to hear this answer. If you had, imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life, where are you going to eat and what are you going to order at your favorite restaurant? Huh. Okay. So, um, my favorite, uh, my favorite food is Thai though. My favorite restaurant these days is this place in New York city called New Wonjo, uh, up in Koreatown. Um, so probably the best day would be kind of like catching, you know, if I had, if I had to fly the day, you mentioned that, so if I had to fly the day, so hopefully a pretty smooth, smooth flight direct all the way to New York and then having dinner at New Wonjo, that would probably be the highlight of my day. So not bad. Um, not a bad answer, man. I was expecting something <laughs> something in like Costa Rica, but you're you're going completely in the other direction with Thai <laughs> yeah, food in New York. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why later. Yeah. yeah, sure. So so without further ado, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you, and what is your story? So um, yeah, my name is Kaya, and again, thanks a lot for thanks a lot for inviting me. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm originally Costa Rican. Uh, I grew up down here. Uh, I founded a couple companies in my life, but uh, most recently, and the only one with any decent track of success, is this company called Slidebean, which we started about uh, almost four years ago. The um, yeah, the um, the concept here, the issue that we found is that people really struggle when building deck, I mean slide decks or presentations. Uh, if you're not a designer, it's a struggle. If if even if you are a designer, this takes so much time. Uh, you know, PowerPoint is being the standard tool that it is to do that. It, it's not really ideal. It's not really user friendly, and it hasn't really changed or evolved in a long time. So we found it, we found an opportunity there, and we we started developing this tool that takes a whole different approach uh, to the to how you build a presentation. In PowerPoint, you have to you have you get this blank canvas that you have to you know fill with content. Uh, in SlideBean, on the other hand, we don't give you the canvas. We just give you uh, an outline where you just put into content without worrying how that's going to look, how that's going to be formatted. And then we automatically generate that formatting for you. Mm, very cool. So you said that you found an opportunity um, and this is a, your first, you're not your first business. So talk about that process. Um, how did you know that you had something on your hands and when was that moment like? Yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's tough um, to know, like you, you always fall in love with the ideas that you come up with or most of the time. Uh, and then you're you're no longer objective about whether that has any potential. Um, the first test, first test that we did to kind of check if we were out of our minds was running um, 
we ran, uh, we ran, we created this fake website and we created this fake video where we showed how Skype being worked. Uh, we hadn't, you know, coded a single line of, uh, of slide being yet like we had nothing we just had this idea about you know let's let's what if people worry about the content not the design um, so we made this quick explainer video and we set up a website we bought the domain and so on and we started pushing traffic in there uh, we paid some traffic we got some press around that some product hunt didn't didn't exist back then or it wasn't a thing um, so we kind of experimented with that and found out that people were really interested about it interested uh, in the product they signed up uh, we had a, like a 25% conversion rate uh, you know, everything on the website led you to believe that this was a real product that, that already existed. It just wasn't. Whenever you put your email in, we just told you, oh, we're, you're a part of the beta and we'll let you know when it's when it's available. But we, did, we really didn't have anything. But that was kind of like the first test that we did to find out whether people would be interested in this. Mm, okay. So you had a 25% success rate. Um, you know, you, you've gone through a lot of trials and tribulations from having this business in four years. What has been, I guess, take me back to a time where you felt lost or blind in business and how did you overcome that blindness in your business? Yeah, so, um, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about this because I, you already told me about your next questions, so, so I already know. But anyway, um, um, yeah, the, probably the time where we were the most lost and there's, there's kind of like, like a key pivot moment for a business where if things had gone differently, we would absolutely be out of business today was when we, uh, you know, ha- we were we were in 500 startups and then, and then uh, this was the first real decent amount of money that we had to spend in advertising. They, they 500 invest like 100K in each company. So we, literally the guys from 500 were like, okay, here's 100K, how are you gonna spend this money to grow at twice as fast or triple as fast or quadruple as fast as you're doing now? Um, then we were doing like two thousand, $3,000 a month worth of subscriptions. So not a, obviously not a lot. Um, and then we, we started kind of like experimenting, like throwing ads here, throwing ads here and throwing ads here. And we discovered that none of this stuff worked. Like there was no way using this money that we could acquire customers in a way that was sustainable for us. Um, so the big pivot that we, that we fought against, so that we, I mean, that we struggled so much to do was changing our pricing drastically. Back then we were charging... I think it was around $5 a month for a subscription. We wanted to be competitive. And then they suggested, hey, why don't you guys go with, you know, above 100? We actually went to 150 bucks per year, uh, but you had to pay that upfront. There was no monthly option. And then we discovered that the amount of people that converted with the five a month plan or the $160 a year plan was pretty similar, but we made significantly more money with the other ones because uh, we charged them upfront and they would stick longer and so on. Um, it was also a very different type of user. The, the five dollars a month were students that you know that would pay for you know for a one-off presentation and then cancel. The hundred and sixty bucks people were were businesses, usually somebody who needs to present often. Who who making this hundred sixty bucks decision was was tougher, uh, but they also needed the product more and they were less prone to churning and that sort of thing. Uh, so that was the first big success. If you look at our historical uh, revenue chart, like there's this big spike when we figured that out and then just started doubling and doubling uh, our spend and trying to find more of those type, those types of customers. Interesting. So you already know the next question, something that I'm <laughs> extremely passionate, passionate about is how were you able to achieve your first 100 customers? What were some of the processes? What were some of the takeaways? What can we use for our business today uh, in order to obtain our first 100 customers, 500,000, et cetera? 
Yeah, so I'll tell you two stories um, around that. So the, the, our first 100 customers really came before this big pivot that I just uh, talked about. Um, where did they come from? Mostly from from very manual, very organic hustling. These are people that we usually, that we probably interacted with over email uh, that feel that they know us because, uh, you know, the app was very fresh. We, we actually called it a beta then. Uh, it was free, so people would just sign up and start using it. And some people kind of fell in love with it. Um, and then, you know, a few months later, we, we put a paywall, uh, our first paywall on, on some downloads and some exports. And some of those users, the ones that were really passionate about it, the ones that really needed it, kind of upgraded. So they, they were people that we, that we nurtured for a long time. Again, we had this very close relationship with them. Uh, they had fallen in love with the product. They had this connection with this very tiny three people company. Uh, again, probably had spoken to one of the founders already um, and were willing to kind of go through that and pay. Uh, the problem was that, uh, you know, how we found them, mostly social media posts, uh, a few blog, a few blog posts, but nothing big. Um, we, at, around that time, we were able to hustle a, a TechBridge article, which was a huge boost then. Uh, that article gave us like 10,000 signups in, in, in the course of a week. Uh, that doesn't always happen. We've been on TechCrunch again and, and it didn't happen again, but well, at that time it worked. So that, yeah, the, probably the first hundred customers, uh, $5, that's $500 of MRR came from that kind of manual work. Uh, but that's, I mean, none of those, or I guess few of those are our customers today. Kind of like the next big step was this pivot I was talking about where, um, we found a very specific audience that would be, that would find our product useful. So back then um we were experimenting a lot with google adwords um you know just but keyword presentation software so that's a very generic keyword that would bring any type of user to a company so it's hard to filter uh who's who and what their conversion rate is but we discovered another keyword which was pitch deck which is probably the one you found in google and most people that use like have found that um which relates to a more specific audience so a pitch deck is usually it's a startup that we use that term it's a founder they're probably an early stage company looking for a pitch deck guidance or a template, and they're looking to raise money. So we built a, uh, we 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 found that we found out that the willingness to pay or the conversion rate on that keyword was great. It was fantastic, the best we had ever seen. Um, we were able to charge 160 bucks a year for this for these users, and they also loved the product. So we started crafting a product around them. So we can double down again and again on this pitch deck and this audience. Uh, and that's what brought us to where we are today. So we're currently at around a million dollars in run rate. And I'll say, you know, 80% of our customers come from that combination of pitch deck, startup use, uh, and the features that we built around that. That's interesting. So how did you get all this data? Was this more or less like <laughs> guessing or was this just like years of just perfecting your craft? No, it, it, it's, it's very, uh, it's very, very few times we've had to make uh, kind of like a gut decision. We usually base that on data. Uh, you know, one one thing that we do differently is more data from the get. Uh, you know, sometimes we've, I mean, today we want to look at a data point that we had we haven't been tracking, and then we start tracking it today, but we don't know what happened. You know, for for the past four years. Um, so yeah, mostly um, mostly uh, based on based on conversion rate data. Uh, we haven't found any tool. So that's a startup idea right there. We haven't found any tool that kind of uh, puts all that data together in, in a simple way. So we, we just build our own spreadsheets. Uh, we have a bunch of Google Drive spreadsheets and when, whenever Google Drive just can't handle them anymore, we move them down to Excel uh, where we, yeah, where we get data points from Google Analytics, from Kismetrics, which is our main uh, core activity tracker. 
um, you know, AdWords, Facebook ads, and, and all that stuff. Um, kind of like put it all together and, and create formulas of our own. Do you think the, if you were to use the same approach today um, to achieve your first 100 customers, do you realistically think that given the state of like content marketing and, and marketing in general, do you think that your tactics would work the same way as they did before? Um, yeah, I think they would. So right now we're kind of like um, getting to, uh, uh, I wouldn't say maturity, but product maturity a little bit on, on this kind of startups product. So we're, we're moving into finding other audiences and we're kind of replicating that. So the way we do it is first we, we experiment with AdWords. This gives us, you know, this lets us target specific keywords very fast and get answers you know, within a week. $500 in a week and you, you know the answer to your question on whether that type of customer uh, is, is, is a, a potential user for the product. Uh, if that works, then the next step is you know, doubling down on that, you know, just spending more on AdWords until, until the math no longer works, so until you get you know, cost of acquisition versus lifetime value proportion. Um, and then we, we, go, we put that into content marketing. So content marketing takes a while. Uh, you know, the reason why we, we rank today is in, in, this, in these pitch deck searches is because first we found that keyword with AdWords, and then once we knew that, that this keyword was gonna be profitable, we just started throwing a lot of content marketing, you know, one, two blog posts a week around that topic, and because we, we knew it was gonna be profitable in the end. Um, so, you know, to give you, to give you a sense, we, we probably spent, uh, around, I don't know, maybe $20,000 on AdWords finding and confirming this keyword worked obviously in a, in a decently profitable way. And then we spent about a year and around $70,000 on content marketing just to rank uh, on that keyword, which was a combination of generating the content, promoting it, making sure that it gets traffic and so on. Uh, but a year later we no longer have to spend any money on that keyword because we already rank uh, organically. So that formula, uh, we've, we've talked a lot about that and you can find a lot of, you know, kind of like the full story on our blog. Uh, that's the formula that we're replicating these days for, for other types of, uh, of users. Like what's our next ideal keyword? What's Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you have a blog and that you document some of the things that you've done. I think that's really cool about documenting your process and, and telling, just being transparent with your customer and your audience. Um, you, has that worked really well for you? Has, have you ever felt as if that your company is too transparent? Huh. Um, no, like uh, we, we've always kind of like been up for that. We're not hundred percent transparent and we know that that comes with challenges. Uh, you know, Buffer is probably the best example, like a fully transparent company where, you know, everybody knows each other's salaries and, and their revenue and churn data is available public. You can check it anytime. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're ready for that yet, uh, but we are transparent as much as we can be in terms of, you know, an approximation of what our, of our monthly or revenue is. Um, just, you know, being open about the stuff that worked, the stuff that didn't work. Uh, we found that in our blog, uh, the most successful articles are the ones that give you an insight that nobody else has. Like anybody can write a, an article about, um, you know, how to, how to write content marketing. Like that's, you will find hundreds of thousands of articles around that, but very few of them kind of give you like this deep down coverage of, uh, okay, so this is how much it really costs us. Uh, this is what didn't work. This, you know, we, th this is the money that we actually spent. This is how the team looked. When we started doing it, this is how the team looked, you know, six months in. Uh, this is how we delegated tasks. Like nobody, nobody kind of gives you that extra insight. 
And that's what made the content different. And, I w- and we want to say, like, that's what made it more successful. Mm, okay. And so you feel as if that, like, how do you, I mean, I guess I'm curious, like, do you think you got that through, co- you, you create the content? Um, did you blast that out to, like, your, your network? Or is this just, like, did you already have, like, a core group of people that you already, that were already fans of yours? No, 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 not at all. So um, hmm. first, our network uh, you know, you you don't have at the at the first, at the very beginning you don't have a lot of credibility because you know who who are you, why why should you lecture me about how to make content marketing right? Uh, yeah, so you know we started kind of like our first network, Facebook and so on, um, kind of build a, a couple of content partnerships. So we 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 have a good relationship with the guys from Startups.co, for example. So they were you know if the content is good, they they were absolutely willing to cross post that. Um, hmm. Now, and then we discovered this very interesting correlation between uh, how much paid traffic we drove to an article and how how that article ranked uh, on Google. Um, so, you know, Google in the end uses a lot of Google Analytics data to determine what ranks first. Obviously, an article that has a very low bounce rate and has a lot of engagement uh, that people spend a lot of time reading, Google considers that much higher quality content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe your content is great, but if it's if it ranks on the you know the fourth page of Google, nobody's going to see it, right? Um, so we discovered that if we pushed artificial or paid traffic into an article, most we did mostly uh, we did that mostly through Facebook, uh, and then that people that were artificially driven to the site to the website engaged a lot, like they would read the article and then read the next one and so on. Google would would start considering that uh, into their ranking. So um, you know, we this is where we spend most of our money. We probably spend like fifty thousand dollars just promoting that content on Facebook, getting the cheapest clicks, but clicks that would obviously engage a lot, that would have low low bounce bounce rates and so on. Hmm. And then that literally, uh, you know, week over week, pushed our content up, you know, two, three, four, five positions until we got it to the you know to fifth, third, second place in Google's results. And then after that, you no longer need to pay for it. Like you just get the traffic. Yeah. And if yeah. that if that behavior sustains, like if the if it's still low bounce rate and so on, then Google will keep it there on the front page. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, um, yeah, I guess one of the reasons why I realized how great your company was, um, was I was actually writing an article about pitch decks and I wanted to do research about, about how to write a pitch deck. And then I found your stuff and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's like, this is really, this is an in-depth article. I don't know if you wrote it. I, I can't remember if it was you or somebody on your team. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of merit to what you just said because I pretty much fell into the same system and gap that, that most people do. I mean, I might be a little bit different because I was looking to get inside your head a little bit and not you know, necessarily, uh, actively buying, but, um, the, the willingness to just actively give has a ton of value. So, you know, kudos to you guys for figuring that out early, early on. Um, I want to just, ask one more question uh, two more questions about business um do you think that the 500 startups uh the fact that you were able to become an alum and be a part of their ecosystem um was that helpful to you and would you recommend that to other startups um yeah i I would absolutely Uh, i wouldn't recommend any accelerator um there's like this bubble of accelerators still uh where there's this bunch of accelerators and don't really add a lot of value um, that focus too much on uh, on fundraising. Uh, like I, I've been through, like with previous companies uh, through accelerators, that all they want you to do, all they teach you, all they all, all they train you about is well, pitch decks and you know raising money. Like go how to pitch an investor, blah blah. 
But if your product's not there yet, if, mm. if your if your business model's not there yet, um, if your growth if your growth tactics are not there yet, then chances of raising money are very low. Um, 500 on the other side, they focus a lot on growth, on building a sustainable, profitable, and growing business. And then if you if you fit the if you fit fit the cube to kind of like fit the mold to become kind of like this VC funded company, then they absolutely push you to do that. But they're uh, you know they're realistic in the sense that when they tell you like your metrics are not that year are not there yet, do not waste your time, grow first, you know get to a million or two million or three million dollars in run rate. Uh, and then start pitching investors. Mm. Um, that's the first time I've had that. I had that kind of like stop. Money is not. It's just a means to an end. But if you're not, if your company is not there yet, um, don't don't waste your time. Good. Oh, awesome. Well, kudos to you for figuring this all out. And just the way you're able to describe business situations just proves that you're a, a true entrepreneur and business professional. So congrats. <laughs> um, one more business question I have, and then I have just a couple more questions um, about go, go. your personality. You, um, I'm, I'm curious to know if you could meet one person to further your business, who would you want to meet? What would you want to ask them? Why would you want to talk to them? Well, um, yeah, so I'm not going to go with, I'm not going to go with, uh, um, I, I, one, one, uh, one startup that I'm a big fan of is Buffer. I mentioned that, um, but another startup that, that, that's really one of my favorites is this company called Quip. It's not that well known. Uh, they were acquired by Salesforce by a huge, like, millions of dollars deal. I can't remember. Uh, it was like $700 million, something like that, maybe. Mm-hmm. A- anyway, uh, Quip, what they did is they built this cloud service um, that, that has like a word processor, call it like a word equivalent, and like a, like a spreadsheet thing, call it like an Excel equivalent. Um, in the place where we obviously have Google Slides, uh, everybody has, I mean, any, any Mac user has numbers and, and pages and so on. Uh, but they were still able to build this differentiated product um, that stood out, uh, that got you know 50,000 businesses to switch their use from whatever came like pre-installed on their computers to this whole new product uh, that did essentially the same thing, but they did a lot better. Um, so that's, uh, we're doing a little bit of that with, with presentations. Uh, and that's why, you know, I'm a big fan of their company uh, and how, you know, how they were able to grow that. Uh, in, at least in our case, we're, you know, we're building a, a new a new product and a new approach to an existent issue. Um, you know, many other entrepreneurs out there are probably are, and hopefully building new products to solve new issues, to solve stuff that didn't exist before. Uh, but in that in my case, you know, I've always been a fan of these guys from Quip. And how they, you know, how they succeeded. I can't. I don't even know what their names are, like the founders. But that, that's the first person that comes to mind. Well, if they're listening, hopefully they can reach out to you right now. We'll try and get them, uh, get you a meeting or some sorts. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Switching the conversation over to more personal stuff. Um, what I found is habits that have helped entrepreneurs become successful and efficient throughout their day. Everybody has them. Is there anything that has worked really well for you in terms of habits? Um, yeah, so it goes a little bit with my managerial managerial approach. Um, you know, I've, I've built a team around me that is that is as self sufficient as possible, right? Um, you know, in the early days, it was just myself and my other two co founders. It was just three of us. We every everybody had to do everything. Everybody had to kind of be involved into what everybody was everybody else was doing. Um, 
but at the same time, uh, I knew that I mean, us founders knew that if we delegated this to this guy, that he'll do it. He'll you know he'll be in charge of it. That's that's it, right? Um, so that's the way I kind of like to manage my team, and and that's probably one of the most important habits to keep me sane uh, day to day. Is you know I built a team that I can trust in the sense that I can say, guys, can you handle this? Like, will you be in charge of this? Uh, and maybe it's a it's a project that's a week or two weeks or a month even. Uh, and I know for a fact that when, you know one month later that will be done. But what that does is it allows me to unload that responsibility off my head and you know leave space for other stuff. Because um, if you at least for me, like if you have to be on top of everybody, kind of managing or micromanaging what they're doing, making sure that it's delivered on time and so on, I I I, I can't focus on the other stuff that I that I have to do. So um, you know, as the team has grown, we're we're um, we're 17 people now. As the team has grown. Um, we, you know, we've kind of kept that mantra where, um, you know, you have to be responsible for, for your own stuff. Um, it, it, you know, this whole transparency thing that we have in the company, like everybody in the team knows, you know, what our revenue is, know, and, and more importantly knows, uh, I mean, what their job does to affect that number, right? Uh, what their job does to affect how the company is doing. So by keeping that, you know, transparency and kind of delegating or extending that responsibility to everybody um you know that helps me keep me sane mm-hmm. um you know as, as of kind of work habits no like i i hate to wake up early so i can't say like i wake <laughs> up and do and do sports or go running like i don't do any of that stuff uh, <laughs> yeah. well that's cool um you know you're able to keep that tra- was that something that you build day one into the business or with that um, level of transparency, was that was that grown over time? Yeah, yeah. The whole transparency thing was was kind of like a like a day one. You know, when when we hired our first employee, like we couldn't keep secrets from her. Like uh, we we just we just can't. Like she she needs to know everything uh, in order to to work. So yeah. yeah, that's cool. Well, my final question for you, Kaya, is the blind entrepreneur. Uh, this podcast was created for individuals who may be temporarily blind in business, and they cannot see the obvious. They may be stuck in a particular headspace, etc. Um, to those individuals, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur? Um, I think the first, and you know, the, the first and foremost, I think is you know find people who are smarter than you. Um, we we failed at doing that in the sense that we we trusted you know after we went through this whole five hundred process, we trusted our own intelligence and, and got to kind of like take this business through um and you know that obviously isn't enough so you know being able to hire hopefully uh, not always you you can't always afford to hire people smarter than you but you can definitely uh you know surround yourself with people smarter than you even if it's not on a, on a hiring role we have a couple of uh, of you know i wouldn't say advisors i would say kind of contractors that we hire kind of like on, on an hourly consulting basis who are smarter than us who we can't afford to bring on a full-time position because they make a lot of money in whatever they're doing now uh but we you know we still get to chat with them you know and and, and balance ideas and so on so that's first um you know second uh, a little bit related kind of like take you know stop to kind of like take an outside look at what your business looks like um, you can do that with you know with people you know. You can do that with your customers. Uh, we, we we do I do weekly calls and all the founders uh, we do weekly calls with our customers to kind of like uh, you know hear what they think about the business. Uh, I I you know I'm mostly involved with with marketing and growth, so I always ask them like how do you perceive the brand? Like does it make sense? Like do you, do you feel that 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 the message like what what messages out of our brand have you received? Have you liked them and that sort of thing? 
Uh, so kind of getting that outside look. Um, and then finally, don't you know? Don't be afraid to you know to pivot even in the stuff that you that you think is working. We, we you know I told you a little bit about the pricing. We 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 had we got to a hundred customers on five dollars a month. Like one would argue that we could continue replicating that for, for more customers, but then uh, that unexpected or that that um, odd pivot of, of of raising the price significantly, uh, you know, was a core uh, success in our business. Um, you know, a few months ago, we, we started experimenting with the idea of building separate products all around design, you know, all following this, this um, you know, this automated design or this content first design later uh, approach that we designed for Slipebean. Uh, and we entertained that possibility a lot. We did, we did a lot of research. We, we, we spent a lot of money and, and uh, company time and, and team's efforts in, in exploring that. Um, and in the end, what we ended up doing was completely different from that, but that, that whole process was necessary to kind of like land into this new idea. Uh, but yeah, it, it started, I mean, what sparked the whole process and the whole experiments and the whole, and the whole uh, research was, you know, opening ourselves to the possibility of pivoting our product drastically. Um, so exploring those things, I think, uh, is, is a natural necessity of, of a company. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think having the audacity to do that is is most important because it's hard to just say, hey, let's try and shift focus and create something new and add more value. So um, again, Kaya, congratulations on everything that you've done thus far. Um, you successfully completed the podcast, so congratulations to you. The next 30 seconds is all yours. Go ahead and tell everybody about how they can learn more about you, how they could be a part of your journey, and potentially become a customer of Slybeans. Um, yeah, so I, I think our, you know, if any any of what I said, any any of these stories seem uh, useful or, or relevant to you, you know, check them out in our blog. That's just, you know, that's the best suggestion I can give. Uh, we've, you know, we've created videos and, and articles that are kind of like a very thorough explanation of what I just blabbed about in, in, in 30 minutes. Um, so that'd be the first. And then the second, which I guess you didn't ask, but I, I think it's a very important, um, feature or, or, or focus that we've had that, that has kept me as a CEO and then everybody on the team, especially the founders sane was, uh, you know, focusing on, on building a, a, a company that will not go out of business soon a profitable company like so focusing on revenue uh for most startups like obviously you know not not you know facebook would would not be facebook if they have done things differently but this uh you know this focus on revenue for you know for an early stage startup kind of keeps you sane in the sense that you know that you won't have to fire you know 17 people in six months if you don't solve it or if you don't raise money uh because you can you know that you know your company makes enough money to maybe you know maybe you have to let one two people go and cut some costs here and there, but you, you have a business in the end, you know, I, I feel this huge weight and responsibility as a CEO, uh, when, you know, people, you know, spend, you know, four years of their twenties working for this company. Uh, and then you're just coming one day and saying like, Hey, hey we couldn't raise any more money. We, we, we're going to, we're going to have business. Sorry. Like this, this is this big weight that I have to carry. So if we have a company that is profitable, that gives them enough, an extra sense of security around, uh, you know, them knowing exactly how we're doing each month. Um, it helps like maybe, you know, maybe you don't have, maybe you're, if you don't raise, you know, a series A, B, C around, you won't be uh, you know, a billion dollar business, but you can absolutely be at that $10 million business, uh, while, while, you know, providing for your investors and for your team, especially. 
Yeah, and and that is uh, couldn't be more relatable. Um, you know, the weight that you have, I'm sure, um, that a lot of people listening they have as well. So, you know, being able to translate that into into spoken words and and advice, it's it's much appreciated. Um, can you just mention, rattle off what are the websites uh, that that people can go on in order to learn more about your company, or yeah, even your or even your social profiles. Yeah, slidebean.com is probably the best way to go. S-L-I-D-E-B-E-A-N.com. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, which is where we are focusing most of our content these days. So there are a bunch of cool videos and, and other funny stuff around there. Very cool. Well, thank you guys that are still watching and listening for always liking and commenting and subscribing. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to theblindentrepreneur.com for more interviews. Being blind in business is temporary, and I hope after listening to the wisdom of Kaya, you are now able to see more clearly. Go out and execute your vision. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for watching this video. Don't forget to follow me on any and all social media platforms using the long last name above, followed by the letter J. If you want to get lost into the dark abyss of YouTube, click either left or right for another video. And finally, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. No, seriously, don't forget.